Let me jump in real quickly into the message this morning. I'm really excited about it. I hope you've enjoyed this series. If there's one thing I want you to hear is that God is crazy about you and that every Sunday is Valentine's Sunday. Well, pastor, I thought that was last Sunday. Nope, every Sunday. Let me tell you why. Because the Lord loves you so much. Because the Holy Spirit is pursuing your heart. Because God wants a relationship with you. Because God wants a friendship with you. And how many know it's really weird to have a friendship if one of the parties doesn't talk? It's like really weird. It's like impossible. So here's the deal. Why did God send the Holy Spirit when Jesus ascended? Because he said it's going to be advantageous for you. It's going to be to your advantage. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's going to reveal things to us, going to reveal the Father's heart, going to reveal Scripture to us, right? Help us understand the Word of God. Help us apply the Word of God. Help us navigate through life. And here's the cool thing. He's going to be our helper. Anybody need a full-time helper? I need a full-time helper. I mean, somebody who's sharp, somebody who's good, somebody who's got stuff, got tools, all right? Resources, that's the kind of helper we need. But we shared, we we need to treasure his voice. Can you say amen? We need to obey his voice. We need to never separate the word of God, the written word, from the spirit of God. We need to say, Holy Spirit, teach me, help me understand. And we never want to divorce those two. We want to move in relationship with Jesus. We never want this to become a time when we get together and we read a history book and we sing Kumbaya and we go home. The Bible, Hebrews tells us, is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. It's not a dead history book. And if all you do is come to church and read history stories and go, that was nice, and then you go home, you will not be any different than your unsaved neighbor at the end of the day. In fact, you can actually be worse than your unsaved neighbor because you'll be religious. This is about relationship with the living God. The Christian life is an exciting journey. Have you remembered Jesus' last words to us? Go make disciples of the planet. Now, can I just ask you guys, if you woke up this morning and you realized your assignment today was to disciple planet Earth, how many of you would think you might need help? (laughs) The rest of you haven't awakened yet, all right? Slap your neighbor if they... How many of you know, do you think we still need to hear the voice of God today? Do you think we still need the power of God today? Do you think we still need the written word today? Absolutely. Do you think we still need specific guidance to navigate through our lives? Do you think we still need God to show up and to do what only God can do when we come to the end of our strength? Anybody think? So do we need the voice of God today more than ever? Of course we do. So why in the world would we believe a terrible theology that said God stopped talking when the apostle John died on the Isle of Patmos? No, God didn't stop talking. We stopped listening. And we need to learn how to tune our ears to the frequency of heaven because this is supposed to be the most exciting adventure you've ever been on, following Jesus. And I want to give you three ways today, three more ways. Now, did you all hear me? We emphasize the supremacy of the Word. Did we not preach that? Living Stones is a Bible-loving, obeying, embracing, hugging, kissing church. All right, we love the Word of God. We also love the Holy Spirit. And we want, to, we want to move together because here's the deal too. Remember I showed you last week, the purpose of the love letters is to lead me to the living Jesus who's alive. And that's why when we're singing today, oh, isn't this good? 
We're singing that song, you have no rival. Because I love Jesus, my body can barely contain my passion. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Because I'm singing about the one who loved me and gave himself for me, and he's awesome, and I'm bragging about him. That's what worship is, bragging about. Well, pastor, who are you bragging to the Lord about? Principalities and powers over this place. I'm like, you guys, you're losers. All you demonic spirits over this place, you're losers. There is no rival to Jesus. Death could not hold him. You guys, you guys are nothing. I'm reminding myself. That's why sometimes you get, you get moving and sometimes you get body language. Not because we got this choreographed team up here. No, it isn't like that. It's just you being real with God. Being passionate with God. Because at the end of the day, the love letters are to lead me to the person who wrote them. And I don't want to get stuck in the, in the book if the book's meant to take me to the person. So let's talk about three more ways today that God wants to speak to us. And there are three Ds, all right? Pastors like alliteration. Doors, desires, and dreams, all right? Say that with me. Doors, desires, and dreams. How many of you have ever prayed for an open door? That's a pretty common prayer. And how many of you have ever also prayed for closed doors? Some of you know you don't want God to open a door that you should not really go through. You want to keep that one shut. Because sometimes, yeah, locked, padlocked. Because you, you don't want to force your way through a door if your life is submitted to Jesus. How many of you can think of anything worse than being out of the will of God if you're a lover of Jesus? I don't want to be, I, I never want to go anywhere, do anything, say anything, be anything that, that is not God's will and desire for my life. Or am I speaking to the right crowd? So many times, for instance, we'll pray for direction. Lord, do you want me to take that job at such and such place? How many of you know you will not find where the Bible says to the Apostle Paul, tell Pastor Ron to take that job at such and such place this coming Thursday? It's not in the Bible. And can I just tell you something else? A million other decisions you're going to have to make are not in the Bible. The principles are in the Bible, and you need to know the principle. But you don't live by just principles. Because how I many you know you don't, we don't live by the letter of the law? We live by the spirit of the law. In other words, you need to know how to apply. See, the revelation is just one part, the inspiration. Then you need a revelation, and then you need to know how to apply it. It's really complicated. There's three parts there, not just one. Understand what the Bible says, and then how to apply it properly to the situation so you don't end up twisting the Scripture. So many times we pray for a door to be open. Now, how many of you, um, back in your, I'm speaking to the guys my age in here, when, you, when life was an open canvas, right, and you could be whatever you wanted to be. You were dreaming, and people always came up to you, and they asked you that terrible question. So what are you going to do after graduation? That's why I just kept getting more degrees. I didn't have any answers. I just, <laughs> just going to keep studying until I figure this out. No, but I was a person, I was a passionate person, like probably a lot of you. And I, I remember at one point in my life, I was really considering law school. Because I have a passion for justice and I have a passion for religious liberty and those things get me fired up. And so I took the LSAT, I studied like crazy, I took the the exam and and I had a mentor who was down at Indiana University Law School. He had done very, very well. Uh, He was at Taylor University as a vice president and then he went down to law school and he was one of my mentors there. And and I told him I was applying to law school and he said, well, you know what, if you could at least just get an average grade on the LSAT, I mean, if you get a great, 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 but just get an average grade with all of your leadership stuff 
and the fact that my mentor had street cred there, I don't see how you won't get accepted. I said, sweet. So I got my test scores back, average on the LSAT. And then I told him, hey, I got everything submitted. And then I just started waiting for the law school to contact me. I waited, and I waited, and I waited. The whole time I'm praying, Lord, if this is you, open the door. Let it swing wide open. If this isn't you, Lord, just slam that door shut. Anybody pray that prayer, right? <laughs> Finally, I decided I couldn't contain the suspense any longer. I called the law school. I said, hey, just checking, see what my status is. This is what they told me. You're on the second waiting list. I said, sweet. Are, are there, I'm thinking there are probably lots of waiting lists. I made the second one. That's awesome. So I called my mentor up, and I said, hey, I got some good news. I'm on the second waiting list. <laughs> he goes, seriously? I said, yeah. He said, that basically means you have a snowball's chance, and you know where to get into this law school. Because the second waiting list was like a nice way of saying, God has just slammed a door and padlocked it in your face. And I said, so it means I'm on the second waiting list. That means I still got a shot to get in there. No, no shot to get in. Then I called the other place I applied, which was the University of Chicago. How I many of that's a snooty place? University of Chicago. The secretary, she informed me that I was a loser on the phone. She said, she said, I think they pick people with really snotty voices too. Sir, you realize that only one out of a thousand applicants get accepted into our school. I said, of course I know that. Now, where am I? Tell me my status. Am I in? When do I go to class? You know, slam door, all right? But how many of you know when God slams the door, it's an indication of where he does not want you and an indication at that moment in my life, I realized that God was shifting the focus of my life. Praise God for slam doors. Revelation chapter 3 verse 8 says, God says, I've opened a door for you that no one can close. Um, I love it when God, on the other hand, has the door swing wide open and you're going through it. And how many of you know when you're moving in the will of God, you're unstoppable? When you're moving in the Holy Ghost and you're following God's purposes for your life and you're keeping in step with Him, doors swing open and you walk through them and God blesses you with incredible blessing. Big decisions often require confirmation, and many times it's those kind of doors swinging open or swinging shut that give us the supernatural confirmation that we need at that moment to determine what's next. Now, let me just say this too. Sometimes people get weird with, with circumstances because here's the problem. If you really want something badly enough, you will interpret circumstances around you to get to convince you that what you really want is God's will. Anybody know what I'm talking about there? So you have to make sure you're walking close enough to the Lord that you hear his voice and, and more importantly, that you know his heart. Because sometimes we, you know, we're walking around, you're, you're on this diet, right? And you're like, Lord, I've been so good and I've lost, you know, six ounces. I'm so excited. And, um, and you drive by the Dairy Queen, and you know, that was the Holy Spirit. There's only one Dairy Queen, one Dairy Queen in Crown Point, and I just happened to drive by the Dairy Queen. Hallelujah. And you pull in, you know, and there goes the diet. No, 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 that's not how this works. You got to make sure that you have a sense of God's heart and a sense of divine timing about how God works. Now, let me give you a biblical example of this. How many of you think, like, when you read through the book of Acts, it's not a history book telling us about the way things were. It's actually a template showing us about how things should be. 
Okay, two of you believe that. The rest of you, I gotta keep working on you. This is not, oh wow, look back in the day. No, this is a picture of what the church looks like moving in the power of the Holy Spirit. How I many you know if our lives are not looking like that, it's not because we explain the Bible away, it's we need to adjust our living. I haven't convinced some of you yet. I'm gonna, I will try to convince you before we're done. All right, keep hanging in with me. Acts chapter 16, verse 6 through 10. Next, Paul and Silas traveled to the area of Pergia in Galatia because the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at that time. Now, let me just ask you a question. What does that look like in real life? Like you're cruising along, Kenny, out preaching the word, evangelistic mission, and the Holy Spirit prevents you. Like, does he knock you over? Does he jump on you and throw you to the ground and say, no, don't go? I don't think any of those things happen. I think the way it works is it's the still small voice of the Holy Spirit working through circumstances and seeing doors that get closed, like flights that got canceled, like tickets that you couldn't get, like, like things that you know, fall into place where it's like, ah, it looks like the Lord's shutting that door. But notice who's doing the work here. Who, who did that work? The Holy They're moving with the Holy Spirit. Notice, too, they're on assignment. You have to be on assignment. Are you living your life for the Lord? Are you living your life to touch people? Are you, are you involved in the mission? If you're on the mission, the Holy Spirit's going to prevent you from going certain places. Look at the next part of this verse. Verse 7. Then coming to the borders of Mysia, they headed north for the province of Bithynia. And again, look at what he's called here, the Spirit of Jesus. Now, who's that? The Holy Spirit. Now, I, this is where I shared with you a few weeks ago. We never have to somehow think the Holy Spirit and Jesus are in conflict because the Holy Spirit's other name is the Spirit of Jesus. It's like if I told you, I'm going to send you the Spirit of Ron Johnson. What would I mean by that? That would mean if you knew my spirit, you would know how I would act in certain situations. You would know what I would say. You would know what I would do. You, you would know, because like I, I used to say this about my dad. You don't have to ask me about my father or what my father would do or what my father would think because I've spent so much time in intimate relationship with my father that I carry the spirit of my father. Does that make sense? The Holy Spirit is so intimate with Jesus that he's actually called the Spirit of Jesus. Why? Because he reveals the greatness of Jesus. He reveals the heart of Jesus. He reveals the mind and the will of Jesus. And the cool thing is, the reason Jesus said it's better for, for me to go to send the Spirit is because now you get the helper living inside. You are led by the Spirit of Jesus. At least he wants to do that in us. Now look at what it says. The Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. So instead, they went through Mycenae, and they ended up at the seaport in Troas. Look what else happens in verse 9. That night, Paul had a vision or a dream. A man from Macedonia in northern Greece was standing there, pleading with him, ready for this message? Come over to Macedonia and help us. He's pleading with him in this dream. Now, verse 10 says, Paul, of course, did not believe that that was the Holy Spirit because that was weird, and God doesn't speak through dreams. So Paul opened up the Old Testament and started trying to find a principle to guide him. (laughs) Is that what it says? No, I want you to see what the apostle did. He has this powerful dream. Come over to Macedonia and help us. How many of you need an interpretation on that dream? 
Come to Crown Point and help us. Is that pretty clear to everybody? All right, just making sure. And look at what he did. It said, so we decided to leave for Macedonia at once, immediately, having concluded that God was calling us to preach good news there. How many of you know if you're wanting God's will for your life and God communicates to you while you're sleeping in such a powerful way and says, yo, come here, you would not be going, oh, wow, that was weird. No, you would be going, thank you, Lord. Let's go. In fact, notice how quickly they went. They were excited to go. Why? Because God was confirming their direction. Now, some of us, the reason God wants to speak to us in dreams is because we're not listening when we're awake. So he has to wait till you're unconscious. I don't know if this is good or bad, but I'll just say this. Isn't it amazing that God is so big and so powerful that he could talk to you intimately because he loves you and because he knows every detail of your life, that he would speak to you while you sleep. He invades your sleeping awareness in your dream and talks to you and says, hey, see this Macedonian guy saying, come here, come here. That's what I want. Thank you, Lord. I mean, some of us aren't real sharp, myself included. I would be grateful for that kind of guidance in my life. Here's what I'm trying to get you to see. This is normal New Testament activity. I'll get to that in just a moment. Let's move on to the second point here. Oh, I, I got one more point. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Paul says, in the meantime, I'm staying here at Ephesus until the festival of Pentecost, because here's why. There is a massive, wide open door for an incredibly great work, although many people oppose me. I just want to clarify something. I talked to you about seizing opportunities, open doors. How many of you know just because there's a door open doesn't mean it's easy? In fact, sometimes, and you need to hear this, sometimes when there's an amazing opportunity, you have to work really, really hard to seize it because the devil's looking at the same opportunity. And Paul's like, you know what? I'm going to press into this because there is a harvest here that's incredible. He goes, but you know what? As soon as I walk through that door, opposition. So I just want to encourage some of you, stop interpreting open doors like it means you open the door to the cruise ship and you're out there laying on the deck. Man, this is great. No! It just means that there is incredible blessing. God's presence is going to be with you. There is breakthrough. There is provision. There is favor. But there is also a fight on the other side of that door. And don't, don't, don't get that confused like, oh, God, I thought that you, why didn't you just slam the door, Lord? I didn't realize I was going to walk into all this. Just wish you would have slammed the door. Get your eyes on the opportunity, not on the opposition. That's what's important. I love what Mark Batterson says. What we perceive as detours and delays are often God's way of setting us up for divine appointments, and they often start off as closed doors. This is good, too. Just because you came to a door and, and the Lord shut that door, it doesn't mean he locked it and padlocked it a hundred times, all right? Sometimes it means this, timing's not right. No, I put that in your heart. Timing's not right. I've seen people say, man, I, I thought that house was ours. You know, Chris, a good realtor example. I thought that house was ours, and it got pulled out right from under us. 
Well, obviously the house wasn't yours or it wasn't yours for now. But it doesn't mean it's the end of the story. Trust the timing of God. And if he's directing you and this door gets closed, don't quit, don't pout, don't sit on the sidelines. Keep moving. Go through the next open door. And eventually God ends up sometimes taking you right around the block to the very thing he promised you. How about Joseph in the dream he had? He could, I mean, closed door, closed door, closed door, closed door, open door, dream fulfilled. So, so don't quit. Make sure you let the Lord do what he does best, and that's lead us and guide us. Let's go to the second point real quickly here. Let's talk about desires. How many of you ever heard people in the world, they say, especially, you know, the, the counseling type, well, what are you feeling? Well, what do you think is the best thing for you to do? Well, you need to be the authentic you. Because as long as you're authentic, it really doesn't matter what you, you are. You're the authentic you, which is the best you, and we celebrate you. <laughs> Let me just give you some, some counterbalance. Run from that counsel. <laughs> the last person I want to be counseling me is me. <laughs> Especially the non-born-again me. Because the non-born-again me was all about me. Selfish me, perverted me, twisted me, 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 me. And that person is a shallow, shriveled up, little ugly Gollum type person. <laughs> Y'all remember Gollum? You don't want to be Gollum. But that's exactly who you are apart from Jesus. Don't ever tell somebody, follow your heart. The Bible says the heart is desperately wicked and evil above all things. Run from your heart. Now that's, listen, that's before Jesus. Aren't you grateful that the new birth means God takes out your heart of stone and gives you a heart of flesh, a heart that loves Jesus, a heart that loves the word of God. And this is the cool thing. Once you're born again, get in touch with the passion of your heart. What do you love to do? What burns inside of you? In fact, look at what the scripture says. Psalm 20, verse 4. May he grant you your heart's desires and make all your plans succeed. Isn't that a cool prayer? God, flood my heart with your desire. And then when I'm pursuing those desires, make all my plans, which are really your plans, prosper. Now, so I, I, how many of you are surrendered to Jesus Christ? You've given your life to Christ. How many of you truly want to follow the Lord? You want your life to matter. How many of you want your heart to beat with the heart of Jesus, the spirit of Jesus, that they're one and you're flowing with the heart of Jesus? Then when you get to that place and God gives you an assignment, believe that he's going to cause you to succeed. Have faith that you win. There's victory. Listen, this is why this church stuff does not need to be complicated. The one who has no rival is leading us into battle. This is not hard. It just takes courage. It means we just got to, we got to move. When opposition comes, sorry, dude, you're going down. We win. God's bigger. We got more power. You lose. We, get, we have a victory mindset. Yes, we deal with momentary setbacks and defeats, but we're winners. 
We expect the favor of God. It's unfair. I feel sorry for our opponents. It's so unfair. We just move in the favor of God. We win, we win, we win, we win. We're like the old New England Patriots. We just win, we win, we win. (laughs) Didn't you hate those guys, by the way? All right, just making sure. Except my son, he happens to like them. But anyway, um, I'm moving on here. What awakens your heart? What gives your heart joy and pleasure? You know, here's what you'll never hear at Living Stones. People, you need to do your duty. How about this one, to borrow some political language? You need to do your fair share. We need you all to sign up for nursery. It's the least you can do if you truly love Jesus You'll sign up. Can I just tell you all something? No, you will never hear that kind of groveling and begging from this pulpit. Here's why. Why would we put somebody who hates children with children? Hey, kids, sit down. Sit down. Behave. Quit smiling. Quit acting like a two-year-old. Oh, you are a two-year-old. Yeah, quit it. Why would we want that person in the nursery? When there's people who come alive loving on children, praying for children, encouraging children. Some of you are like, well, I wouldn't do youth ministry. Oh, my gosh, teenagers. Thank God. Stay away from our teenagers. We don't want you doing youth ministry. Doing ministry is not like the worst thing you can possibly think of, and you know that's what God's going to ask you to do. No. You think God's some sicko or something? What is the matter with you? Why would not God take the gifts you have and the passion that you have and the love that you have, the things that make you so happy and the things that make you so angry and put those all together into this amazing you that you're going to be led of the Spirit to accomplish amazing things? I mean, find out what you love. Find out what brings you joy. I'm looking back at Debbie Aguilera. Debbie, what a nice little face back there. Good to see you this morning. Love, Debbie. Part of why she's doing CR, it goes back to her testimony of her own family and some of the things that powerfully touched her. And when she got encountered with the vision for Celebrate Recovery, she was undone. And she says, we must have that ministry at Living Stones because I want to give my life helping people who have gone through some of the same things that I've struggled with. When you find somebody like that and you release her into what God's put in her heart, she's never worked a day in her life on Thursday nights for CR. She loves every moment of it because it burns within her heart. That's what ministry is. All right, let me get to the last one here. The most controversial, the one that makes everybody nervous, dreams. Pastor, is that biblical? If you only knew how biblical, I could do a 20-week series on dreams, promise you. I could do it. You know why? There's so much material. Well, pastor, should God speak to Christians in dreams? Well, how about this? God even speaks to unsaved people through dreams. Do you remember when Abraham's wife, the hottie, Sarah? And the Hebrew Sarah, the hottie, all right? Not really, but... She was a hottie. In fact, the wicked king said, hey, who's that lady? Took her into his harem. Remember what happened when the king went to bed that night? I'll tell you what happened. Genesis 20, verse 3. God interrupted King Abimelech while he was sleeping, and this is what the Lord said. I love this. You are a dead man. 
<laughs> oh, God is so loving and he's a father. He'll kill you, dude. What are you talking about? He interrupts a wicked king's sleep and says, you touch her, you're dead. How many of you know, here's the message, God loves his daughters. God loves his daughters. How many of you know, God gave Pilate's wife a dream. That's an innocent man. Don't touch him. Pilate was a politician. All he cared about was the next election. Pilate didn't listen to his wife. Should have come to marriage class. Could have saved him. He, he could have been the hero instead of the enemy. How many of you know God speaks to us in dreams to do a couple of things? He warns us, he encourages us, and he guides us. How many of you remember in Genesis 28, Jacob had a dream that changed his entire life? Saw angels ascending and descending, saw the Lord himself at the top of the ladder uh, and realized God is in this place I wasn't even aware. God reinstated his covenant with, with Jacob in a very personal way through, through a dream. How about Joseph? Joseph had a dream that resulted in saving two nations from starvation. I mean, you're grateful God spoke to Joseph in a dream. A whole lot of people have uh, got their lives saved from, from a, a, a miserable ending there. How about Daniel when he interpreted the dream that saved the lives of the Babylonian wise men? Again, they weren't even Christians. They were Babylonians. But God gave Daniel the dream and ended up sparing their lives. How about we talk about Christmas time, right? Joseph and Mary and all that. How many of you know Joseph was going to divorce Mary until God showed up and gave him a dream? said, don't, no, 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 it's, she's carrying a child conceived of the Holy Spirit. In fact, she's carrying the Messiah, the Savior, who's going to actually die for your sins, Joseph. Don't go through with it. How I many of you know when Herod was going to kill all the little children, how did Joseph know about it? He didn't hear about it on the evening news. He didn't have a 24-hour news cycle. God, in his intimacy, shows up to Joseph and says, you need to leave here and go to Egypt. Also fulfilled scripture. How did he know when to come back from Egypt? Ah, guess what happened? Dream. Dream, dream, dream. In fact, I want to encourage you. Read through all the, the uh, gospel accounts of Christ's birth, and you tell me how supernatural. And here's the point. We do not know Jesus apart from divine revelation. Can't recognize him? How did, how did the, the, the Magi uh, find him? Star, angelic visitation, Right? God speaking to them. They're, I don't even know if they were saved men or, you know, as we would consider godly men. Probably not. Point is, God's working out his plan. How about this one? How about when God gave Peter the dream about eating the unclean things? And Peter's like, no, Lord. He's arguing with God in his sleep. Of course, Peter would have really argued if he was awake, so God had to take him on his, flat on his back. <laughs> he's always putting his foot in his mouth, right? But here, Peter's arguing in his dream. No, Lord, we can't eat that. Yeah, kill and eat, kill and eat. How many know God gave two dreams to two different people? Cornelius had his dream too, and then brings them together in perfect divine timing. And we're all here today loving Jesus because of a dream. Because that dream said, no, 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 no. God's opening the door of salvation to the Gentiles as well. How did God deliver that information? Dream. I, I, listen, I'm, what I'm trying to say is why do we have such a defensive posture towards dreams? I realize they're not on the same level as the Scripture. Don't get, don't get nervous. But why would not want to, God want to speak to you in a personal way? Let me give you one more example. I love this. This is not in, on the screen. You'll have to read the, the old school way. Open up your Bibles. <laughs> Look at that. Acts chapter 18. Paul is getting ready to go into a certain place. And, and how many of you know two things happened when Paul preached? Either a revival or a riot. Either people got saved or he got stoned. 
How many of you think it might be good to know ahead of time what you're stepping into? And I'm just being real. Like you're on a preaching mission, you're going to the next town, you still got the, the bruises and welts and broken bones from your last preaching episode, and you kind of like to get a little heads up. Guess who knows the answer? The Holy Spirit. Look at what happens in Acts chapter 18, verses 9 and 10. The Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. This is what the Lord said to Paul. Don't be afraid. Speak out. Don't be silent, for I am with you, and no one will be able to attack you or harm you, for many people in this city belong to me. How many of you would like God to say that to you right before you're getting ready to go in this city? Hey, man, preach it. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. In fact, how about with this? When you preach, many are going to respond because I have many sons and daughters in that city waiting to hear about the gospel because they're going to respond. And the Bible says Paul stayed there a year and a half. How many of you know when you find a wide open door and you find fruitfulness and the blessing of God, camp out in that place. Camp out in that place. So listen. Whether it's, whether it's in a dream saying, hey, come to Macedonia, or it's the Lord himself saying, come on, you can do this. Go, be bold, don't be afraid. How many of you think God would speak to you that way? I saw one hand back there, good. Now here's what I mean. Let me ask it differently. How many of you would like God to speak to you that way? Let me ask you, do you guys face any major decisions in life? Have you given your businesses to the Lord? Your livelihood to the Lord? Have you given your kids to the Lord? Your house to the Lord? Your car to the Lord? I've had people that are mechanically motivated. How many of God speaks in your language and your expertise? I've known people that were sleeping. God gave them a dream about what was wrong with something mechanical. And they got up and, and, and sure enough, they addressed that. They hadn't thought of it. And boom. How many of you know God cares about little things like that? And, and here's my point. It's because he loves you. And he cares for you. And he knows every detail of your life. We shouldn't get wild about the dream. What we get wild about is the God who would speak to you in such a personal way. I'm going to end with a story that just rocks me. I, I wish I had the time to read it all. It's from Ken Geyer's book. And I can't remember the name of the book. Some of you have read maybe Ken Geyer. Before I get to this story, I'm going to get to one other story. I got one minute. When I came to Living Stones, I, you know, I told you I had been seeking, like, God, what's your will? I was thinking about law, thinking about higher education, thinking about the ministry. Lord, what is it that you, that you want from me? And this only happened a couple times in my whole life, so please don't feel like this is the norm. And I'll just say this, too. A lot of times, it's not like every little dream is a God dream. Um, that's, that's not how the Lord would like to communicate with us, I don't think, on a regular basis. But I do think God speaks very specifically about big decisions in our lives. This was a big decision. I had a dream. I was in the garden at my folks' home in St. John where my dad had me work many, many hours. In fact, I had rows to weed and beans to pick and all that before he got home from football. But we spent a lot of time in that garden. So how many know God speaks to you in a language that you understand and he speaks to you in a scenario that you get, all right? So I, I knew exactly where I was. I was with my father. I was in our backyard. I was in the garden. But here's where it gets to be God and not just a dream. In that garden, I remember being able to zoom in, and I saw, for instance, a, 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 a peas growing on, on, the, on the vine. The, the peas were so big that the pods were popped open, and the peas were hanging like grapes. How many of you know that's supernatural? That's not how they do that, right? 
Everywhere I looked, the plants were green, they were full, they were vibrant, there was not a weed to be seen, and the fruit was overwhelming on the vines. I woke up, again, I had been seeking the Lord for His direction for weeks, if not months. I called my mom. Mom, I just had this crazy dream. Can you, what do you think this dream means? And she just said, like, in a, as a matter of fact, well, that's easy. She says, I believe God's calling you to work in the same garden as your father, and that as you labor together, God's going to give you supernatural fruit. In fact, the harvest is going to be so great and so big and so lush that you're going to experience the favor of God working in the same field as your father. I said, oh. (laughs) Now, how many of you know when you, listen, because the Holy Spirit lives in you, When you hear a word that's right on, what happens? It resonates in your heart. And so you know what I did? I packed up everything. I moved to my mom and dad's house with my little family. When we got to Crown Point, we did not have a Crown Point budget. So I lived in my sister's bedroom for three years. Yeah. (laughs) She was gone. Yeah. She was out of there. Um, (laughs) Thank you for that clarification. My son, Joel, who was on the drums today, when he came into the world, child number three from my sister's bedroom, right next, <laughs> right, next, right next to mom and dad's room. In fact, my dad told me, three strikes, son, you're out of here. But uh, we still have a picture of my son, Joel, in a turkey box. We didn't know it at the time, but it was a cardboard box because we didn't have a room. So his nursery was the uh, fireplace mantle. And we looked on the side of the box and said, young turkey. We're like, it's prophetic. It's prophetic. No, seriously. But I came back. And how many of you know I'm living the dream? That's why sometimes, you know, if someone said, pastor, do you ever feel like, you know, you'll go, pastor in Nashville? No. Pastor, you ever think you look for a preaching gig in Jamaica? Speak, Lord, your servant is. No, just kidding. No, but here's that. I'm, I'm goofing around. You know why? I've never even considered any of that because, listen to me, I have a geographical assignment. And God confirmed it powerfully in a, in a prophetic dream that gave me the answer that I needed at a time that I needed. And he, listen, he spoke in a, a language that was meaningful to me. One more story. I'm three minutes in the, in the red. You guys are going to have to get out of Dodge fast, all right? People are waiting for your parking spot. More about that in two weeks. But anyway, one more story. This woman, Ken Geyer's wife, Ken Geyer always thought these dreaming people were weird. They're just go to the Bible, get away from me, you weird charismatic freakos, all right? Um, get away. And said, until my, he goes, until my wife had a dream. How I many you know when, you're, when your spouse experiences some of this stuff, like I can't discount my wife when she gets all prophetic and weird because she's my wife. I know her. She loves the Lord, and I know her. You guys got to laugh a little bit more, right? You all, you all know you're thinking exactly what I'm articulating, all right, or you have thought that. Not about my wife, but anyway. Um, so Ken Geyer's wife, she has this dream. She's in a gymnasium. 
She pictures the gym perfectly. It's one of those old wooden floor gyms, the light shining through from up at the windows, and you can see kind of the the dust in the air and all that kind of stuff. He says, this man is sitting next to her on the ground. She's dressed up in a ballet suit, but it's not like the new one. It's not pristine. It's not white. It's kind of old, used, kind of raggedy. And they're looking out on the floor, and out on the dance floor is like 100 ballerinas just dancing, like trained, beautiful, professional ballerinas, just tearing it up. And the man next to her walked out onto the floor and all the ballerinas kind of gathered around him at that point and he just cheered them on and said, great job. And they all danced off the floor and then in the dream, he turns to her. She's sitting there in her old ballerina, torn up, raggedy suit. And this person who she discerned to be the Lord says, you, will you come out and dance for me? She jumps up. She runs out to the floor, and then in the story, they tell the background. When she grew up, she felt unseen, forgotten. She felt like her, she wanted to be a dancer, but she couldn't. She came from a poor family. She felt like all she, her life was full of just chores and work and trying to provide, and she felt like she never had a childhood. And she remembers being at the sink, washing dishes, But she would always get distracted and she'd start twirling and dancing like a little girl would do because she had a dream in her heart. But she never got to live that dream. She just had to wash dishes and then she had to work and she had to provide. And, and, you know, it was just a hard life. Anybody know what I'm talking about? But she felt overlooked. She felt unimportant. She felt like she didn't matter. And she said all of a sudden she realized in this dream that it was the Lord himself that called her out and said, I want you to dance for me. And then when she danced, he said to everybody else, look at this beautiful woman. She's not been trained, and she doesn't have this. But didn't she dance beautifully? And she shared this with her husband, and I can't get into the details of the story because it's just so personal, so intimate. But the short story is this. Every time the Lord would bring that dream to her mind, for the next three days, she'd just weep. It was, it was touching something on the inside of her that was so deep and so painful. And, and the feeling of being unnoticed and, and undeveloped and not having anybody celebrate you, cheer you on, or being able to fulfill any dreams in your life. And she said she realized that God was speaking to her childhood hurts and pains and weaknesses. And after three days of crying, she said something crazy happened. All of a sudden, I just felt healed. And I just felt free. And I read stories like that. I'm crying right now just telling you, I'm not a dancer and I don't even know this lady, all right? I'm bawling my eyes out right now telling you this because here's what touches me. This is the heart of God. He still knows about a little girl's hurts and he interrupts her sleep to give her a picture of something that only she could understand and the picture perfectly touches her at the place where no one's ever touched her heart before and no one's ever understood. And if you think that's weird or demonic or it's going to lead you into error, you're serving the wrong God. He's too small of a God because the God of the Bible is a God who knows you inside and out. And listen to me, one dream from God can absolutely wreck your heart and heal you and put the pieces back together again because what it screams is this, I love you so much. And I care about you. And even if I have to communicate to you while you're sleeping, 
That's how much I'm pursuing you. When we talk about the voice of God, it's not so we can have just good Bible studies. It's not just, oh, God, show me what the Greek word means. That's all fine. But it's God wanting to encounter you with his love because he cares about you, and he's going to spend eternity with you personally, and he knows you by name. And I just want to say this. Some of the dances that have been left undanced, some of the poetry that's been unwritten, some of the songs that have been unsung, all the things that this life sometimes deals us, can I just tell you something? There is an eternity coming when you'll dance like you've never danced before and you'll sing like you've never sung before and you'll create like you've never created before and you will enjoy the full affection of Jesus over your life like you've never experienced before and it will absolutely transform you forever and ever and ever and ever. That's how awesome God is. Come on, that's God. Woo! Oh. Come on, hop to your feet real quick. There'll also be no time in heaven. Hallelujah. <laughs> Lord, just wreck all these awesome people. Overwhelm them, Lord. Speak to them. Open doors, close doors. Inflame their hearts with holy passion for you, Lord. And God, I pray you'd catch us all off guard even while we sleep. God, speak to us. Awaken us. Heal us, Lord. Touch us. Change us. Ignite us with fire for you. And Lord, do it all for your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.